Welcome everyone to the uh, evening meditation service. <clears throat> As you may see, I am wearing the liturgical colors of black and uh, some other colorful cosmic blue. And this is the beginning of our Sagaki season and the beginning of our liturgical year. We begin with the Sagaki and we move from there into the Satori and from there into Nirvana and then Hanumatsuri and then to Oban. So those, that makes up the full cycle that we go through. And some people ask me, why do we start in the fall? And there's a lot of different answers for that. But ultimately, the fall represents what's known as the liminal period. And that is the period between seasonally between summer and winter. And so this is a period of great change. For ancient human communities that lived in temperate climes, where in other words, there were seasonal changes that were going on, they naturally developed different ways of being in these different seasons. So this is also known as harvest time. And so a lot of these traditions come when humans began to be a bit more agricultural. Although you could say that it actually preceded that, that even hunter-gatherer tribes uh, may have engaged in these sort of things. But essentially, once the harvest was over, this was the time when the light began to leave. And so this liminal period was considered a dark period. And it was also understood that with winter coming, that this was a time when it would be very difficult because they'd have to rely, at least the agricultural groups would have to rely on the stores of food until the next year. And so it was very commonplace for them to believe that this was a time, a very special time, where people were especially open to influences from the beyond. And of course, the popular uh, ceremony that we observe as Americans is Halloween, All Hallows' Eve. And it was the idea that this is the season where the spirit is most open. And for the Buddhist tradition, we begin with Sagaki because it begins with embracing the shadow. And I'm going to talk about what that means. And it culminates in the great Sagaki service. Now, Sagaki itself means the feeding of the hungry ghosts. And this ceremony, which we will have in person, and if you would like to attend, uh, please email us uh, in the reference that you'll find when this is posted. But uh, it's a great fire ceremony, which is known as a goma. And in that fire ceremony, we learn to let go of things from the past that may have been vexing us. And we burn them. And all our negative karma and all those things are burned and purified in the fires of the Sagaki. And that burning becomes the incense which feeds the hungry aspects of ourselves and of the world 
in the universe. So for us, this is a season of embracing the shadow and experiencing grace, healing, and reconciliation. And that's what the English uh, translation of the Sagaki is. It's a, it's a ceremony of healing and reconciliation. Very powerful ceremony. And we usually try to do it outdoors, if possible. Um, I've never been at that time of the year in Japan, but in uh, Japan they will often have great sagakis in, in giant cemeteries. And they will have huge bonfires where they perform this liturgy. So in our, our precepts, we say that um, we basically see our personal being as the path, including the shadow. So what is the shadow? What does that mean? Well, the shadow is a term that became popular uh, in the earlier part of the 20th century. And it was a term that was used in depth psychology to talk about those aspects of our mind or experiences that we had not been able to fully integrate. And that this lack of integration can create issues for us because these are the things that we really don't sometimes know are there. We're not like actually aware of them. And sometimes they're there, but we're afraid of them. The shadow typically, when first encountered by folks, is scary. It frightens them because it represents the darkest aspects of who they are. And it represents shadowy aspects that they may not have come to grips with. This could be something that happened when they were very small, and usually it happens sometime before there's a lot of cognitive awareness, but it can also happen slightly after that. And so this, this shadowy aspect of ourselves becomes something that we tend to repress, but it will manifest in different ways. As you know, the psyche is like any other natural system. You can't really get rid of energy. The energy can change, but you can't make it disappear. It just comes out in different ways. So sometimes the shadow will manifest in nightmares. Sometimes the, the shadow will manifest in actions of hatred and greed and delusion where we seem not to be ourselves. And so they can be triggered by different types of events. And so for most people, the shadow is something that they really don't have much time with. They tend to repress it or they tend to be afraid of it. In popular idiom, the shadow is often personified. And it's personified as a devil. In the Christian tradition, the great personification of the shadow is Satan. In the Buddhist tradition, the great personification of the shadow is Mara. And in both the stories of Christ and the story of Shakyamuni, there is a confrontation with the shadow. For Christ, it is the confrontation of Satan in the desert. 
and for Shakyamuni is the confrontation of Mara beneath the Bodhi tree. In both cases, not as evident perhaps in the first, but certainly in the Buddhist version, Buddha Shakyamuni is encountering and engaging his shadow, which is personified as the great evil one, Mara, the great deceiver, the great destroyer. And what we learn from this encounter, this mythic legendary encounter, is sort of a, a way for us to do that with ourselves. Because here's the thing, and this is very important, and probably the most important aspect to understand about the shadow. When the shadow is seen from the place of duality, where there's light and dark, and they are separate from each other, where there is good and bad, this type of dualistic thinking makes the shadow into the enemy. It makes the shadow something to be fearful of. It makes the shadow something dark and destructive. But here's the secret. When one transcends those dualities through the experience of oneness or through the teachings of oneness, a new encounter with the shadow is allowed. A new encounter, a new engagement is enabled. And in this engagement, the shadow somewhat magically is transformed into grace. Now some of you hearing that for the first time may have a little bit of a hard time understanding it. But let me say it again very clearly that from the place of oneness, from an enlightened perspective, the shadow is the source of grace. What do you mean by grace? I mean a sense of acceptance that is boundless. A sense of acceptance that is unconditional. A sense of acceptance of the unacceptable. And so when we mindfully engage the shadow, we find that yes, in there may be many things that we consider ugly, many things about ourselves that we would rather not have others know, the skeletons in our closet. But that these things are the very deepest regions of our soul that reveal to us grace. Why is that? Because in the shadow, nothing is rejected. In the shadow, no matter what horrible thing may have befallen you, or no matter what terrible thing you may have tasked, nothing is rejected. And I mean nothing. Now this is a very radical, deep sense of acceptance. It's because of this acceptance that we experience the grace that allows us to move into full liberation. And we learn that the shadow is actually 
mostly made of a unique kind of light. It's called clear light, which means that it has no color and it has no actual way you can sort of point to it and say, that's it. It's clear light. And the only thing that it does is make everything lucid. So we encounter the shadow by opening up to those darkest aspects of ourselves. And then the next step is to embrace the shadow. For it's when we embrace the shadow, when we embrace the unacceptable aspects of ourselves, or, or we experience that we are embraced, and that is also the way that is talked about, that are within our Buddha nature, within our true selves, we are accepted without one plea. There is nothing we can do to change that. There's nothing we can do to lose it. And there's nothing we can do to gain it. It is a gift. This is a gift of grace. And the reason it seems paradoxical is because most of the world sees things in black and white, in dualities. But our tradition transcends that, unlike almost anything I can think of on earth. And it says, no, that is actually the source of grace. Because in the shadow, everything is accepted. Nothing is rejected. That's the only place you'll find where nothing is rejected and everything is accepted. And when you embrace your shadow, you realize that it is filled with clear light. And this is what allows you to move into full liberation. Satori. Now, <clears throat> all that being said, how does it actually work? Well, I can give you two powerful examples. One was of a man who came to me some years ago who told me this terrible tale of how he had been abused by an older brother and a father. Another version is a, a man who did terrible things to others. Someone I met who had spent most of his life in prison. Both of these men were suffering from events that had occurred in their life. And both of them had moved these into the shadow realms. So even though they weren't constantly daily being aware of them, they were constantly having an effect on their existence. For both of these individuals, the right of the Sagaki, the encounter with the shadow, and the embrace of the shadow is what allowed both of these persons to experience liberation. And they both did. And what do I mean by that? They experienced a freedom of mind that freed them from the karma of those events. And their lives were forever changed by it. So I can't say enough 
uh, how powerful this period is. That this liminal space that we're entering into now, how strong it is, how important it is. Because I would go so far as to say that any spiritual path which does not bring about an engagement with the shadow is not truly a spiritual path because there is no liberation without the encounter with the shadow. Next time I'm going to talk a little bit more about how this has been embodied within Buddhism. But I would encourage you now to contact us, work with us. We will help you to find that encounter. And I do really suggest that you have a spiritual friend or someone with experience or a teacher when you do this. Because it can be the most powerful thing in one's life, but it can also be the most frightening thing that one encounters. And so having someone who has experience and training is well advised. And if you feel that this is a stage you're at in your life or a thing that you would like to do, then contact us and we will help.